Hi, I'm Jen Bonet, Executive Director of the Creative Coast. The Creative Coast is a nonprofit organization that was founded uh, over 20 years ago to help entrepreneurs and creatives and technologists succeed in the Savannah region. So Entrepreneurs Night is really a live podcast where we interview a successful entrepreneur from the Savannah region. Our goal is to document and share the origin stories of the companies that are getting things done here in the Savannah region. Good evening. This is Jen Bonet with the Creative Coast, uh, and and this is Entrepreneur Science. So we're really excited to have you with us. Um, again, the Creative Coast is a nonprofit entity that exists in the Savannah region, and we're all about um, empowering entrepreneurship and the technology community here in Savannah. And Entrepreneurs Night is really about sharing the story of a successful technology entrepreneur in the city of Savannah. And tonight we have. Kaysen Carter with Broughton Partners with us. Thanks for being here, Kaysen. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So um, I graduated from Clemson University in 2011 and um, with a um, major in marketing and uh, focus on entrepreneurship and sales and quickly um, knew that I wanted to eventually be a business owner and wanted to run my own business. But in order to get there, um, I felt like the best path for me to understand the economics of a business and just have um, a life lesson. The best for me was, was sales. And that was figuring out how to get people to move and how to generate revenue. Because at the end of the day, um, no company's built without revenue, right? It's not all about revenue. Um, I think that revenue is like the, I tell people here all the time, it's like the blood that um, keeps us moving, but it's not who we are, right? And so um, I think that being able to create revenue is, is such an important thing for businesses and something that um, is something that is a great uh, skill to have for anyone being able to be told no over and over and over again. So went into sales um, and moved around the country uh, with two different companies and wound up in Atlanta, close to where I'm from, Blairsville, Georgia, and was doing captive insurance sales for a company called Federated. And uh, it was great, great, great experience um, because I'd worked my way up and up for I got to work on deals that were larger in value and understanding the life cycle of a large account and the different levels of a large account through the C-level team and, and things like that and making it all the way up to the CFO and CEO for decisions. And so it was really good for me to understand how the decisions were made in businesses like that, right? And so that was a, a big um light for me and a, you know, a lot of good lessons were learned there and um, ultimately was doing, doing well and um, uh, wanted to be out on my own though and started moonlighting for a company that was selling software out of Atlanta. Uh, and about six months into that, um, haven't received a paycheck for them yet, but um, at the end of the day, knew that's what I wanted to do and it earned some equity with them. And uh looked at my fiance and said, I'm going to uh, quit my job with insurance. And she says, you're, you're out of your mind. And everybody thought I was crazy. And I said, no, I'm going to go full time doing this. Um, and we're going to figure it out. And I think that, um, you know, I had started 10 or so different businesses, um, I would say, um, all the way from I had a um, successful landscaping company in high school and had a bunch of buddies working for me. And sometimes working with buddies isn't so well um, and had 
we had quickly grew to where we got subdivisions. And so we stopped taking um, contracts with individual homeowners and had subdivisions during the boom of, you know, 2006 and whatnot. And that taught me a lot as well. Wish I would have known a little bit more because I'd have sold those contracts instead of just getting out. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I had a lot of businesses when I was, um, you know, working insurance too. And I think that one of the things was the best lesson for me was going all in on something. And there's nothing like when you have your back against the wall, um, because there's something about that moment that you, uh, it's like you get your master. I tell people all the time, you, I feel like I got my master's in the school of hard knocks with learning through a business that trying to figure out how to make it run. Um, and you have to do some wildly um, unscalable things in the beginning um, to make sure that you're successful and you uh, are working crazy hours, but that is an incredible lesson. And um, during that time, I'd met uh, my partner and he said, look, let's um, go out on our own and start this other business. You're a minority partner and you don't like the direction that company's headed. And I said, you know, um, what would it be? And we just kind of were throwing stuff together and we started it. And so I was moonlighting again within six months <laughs> and uh, I'm feeling like, you know, this was maybe a bad decision, but moonlighting again. And um, finally, uh, another point I looked at my fiance and I said, well, we're going to move to Savannah and I'm going to start this other company full time. And so at this point, I'm looking a little bit crazy to my friends, family, everyone, right? Um, had a great job left to, um, for a company that I'd been moonlighting for. And now within six months to eight months later, I'm already doing it again, right? And we're picking up and moving cities. And so moved down here on a kind of a women of prayer. And it was uh, something that is, was the best decision of my life. And um, I said, I was told my business partner at the time, I said, I'll move to Savannah for a year and I'm getting right back to Atlanta. We're going to get everything set up and then I'm going to run sales from Atlanta. And uh, he's not here in Savannah anymore. And um, I'm still here. So it's been one of the best decisions ever. Um, I love Savannah. I love um, the culture down here and I love um, the lifestyle, but it's been great. Savannah has been great to us and um, we've built an incredible team here. So I think that culture is everything and I would never want to leave the culture that we have um, in this building um, pre-COVID obviously right now, but hoping to get back to that soon. And I think that that really is one of the biggest things that drives a business. And um, so it's been, it's been incredible ever since. Awesome. I love that. And I uh, love that you ended up here in Savannah. I uh, spent obviously most of my career in Atlanta. So I'm also a fan of Atlanta and um, done a lot of startups there. Tell us a little bit more about um, launching Broughton Partners and, and how you got into the uh, in software industry that you're that you're in today in Broughton Partners. So yeah, so we're you know really when you look at us we're a uh, we're a tech enabled service, right? We are not a uh, total software play in the fact that we sell software as a product, but with all the things that we bring to the table for our partners, we enable them through our services. But it is tech enabled and allowing them to operate better. For example, our, what we essentially do is broaden partners markets for claimants for law firms across the nation. Um, and we help those law firms get those cases in the door. We do the intake for them. We do the signing and then we deliver it to their case management software through for them um, through integrations. And so we're constantly building products that we're never going to be able to sell that is to better provide it our service. And so when you look at 
our product, it is the fact that we're delivering um, claimants to them to people or for people who need help, but we couldn't do it without software um, that we put in place today. And so our product is, um, our software product is a better way to get the, our claimants to the law firms. And so we're building a lot of integrations, we're building a lot of portals, we're building those types of things all the time that is simply a benefit of our service. Um, so it is a, it's inter- interesting um, when you look at it from a software company, but we have been labeled that a lot um, from the standpoint that we bring a different approach than other companies in our industry. Very cool, very cool. Um, do you find that you're doing kind of integrations to the same case management software over and over again, or is it, you know, is there, is there some scalability there? Is a lot of it one-off? No. So we, yeah, we do a lot um, now and we've gotten much better at in the beginning. It was like, wow, this is, you know, we got a long road ahead trying to figure out how to do this, but it's the same six over and over, um, which is good. And so we get, we have to, uh, we get better at it. The, The changing things for us though, that we have to always be keeping up with and the, one of the projects we're working on now is that um, we're working on certain case types that will be gone within a year. Right. And so the SOLs will expire. There'll be new case types because we work in mass tort type litigation, defective product and um, pharmaceuticals and devices. And so once a roundup lawsuit um, moves away and the SOLs expire and they settle that, we'll be have a new one. And so that creates new fields, new forms, new things that come out. And so, that's constantly a uh, back and forth um, way of working with the firm and communicating and making sure we're on the same page. And so we're looking for ways to uh, standardize that across the industry. That's neat. It reminds me of a company I worked with a couple of years ago that was always f- helping people in the medical space find people for clinical trials. So it's a similar thing, right? There's a certain type of characteristic of a person that they're looking for to join the clinical trial so that they can get FDA approval for the drug, right? So- right. It's similar, a little different, but always looking for a new customer type, always looking for a new claimant type as you, you know, right. depending on the situation. So tell us where you're at now, like um, Broughton Partners. How many locations do you have? How many employees do you have? How many customers do you have? Yeah, so um, when we started in 2017, um, we there was a couple things that shifted real quick, and that were, was um, – we knew that we couldn't just be a marketing company. We had to be a full service end-to-end turnkey solution for these attorneys to receive clients. Um, And we weren't going to be able to do that by um, counting on their call center. That meant we couldn't be sending leads in. So we had to create our own internal intake department. And then we had to deliver that to their system in a seamless manner. And so we have an intake team based out of here in Savannah, but with COVID happening and changing a lot of different things, we have, um, found ways to hire all across the country. And it's also changed our mindset a little bit on location. So currently we have two locations. We were planning on expanding to Atlanta this year for a third location. Um, and that location was simply going to be our um, safe haven for hurricanes because a hurricane happens and it typically puts us um, about a month behind in the past because wow. by the time that we get everything back up and running after three days, then you have a buildup of three days because the whole nation's not hit by a hurricane, right? So we still have things coming in. And then you try to work through those, but it puts you in a bottleneck situation that you're working your way out of for a month or so. And so we said, we're going to get this Atlanta place uh, location, have some people working there, but also have enough capacity to send our team from here and get them hotel rooms in Atlanta and be able to work from Atlanta. Um, 
But with what's happening now and the work from home policies that are going on, we see it much different in the sense that we'll still get the hotel rooms and get them set up, but we don't necessarily have to have a location for that. And so um, right now, I believe we're at around 150 employees. Um, and uh, when we are able to come back into the office, um, I think about 120 of those are based out of Savannah. Excellent. Wow. That's great. Um, about how many customers do you have at any given point in time? So I believe Project? last year we had around 550 customers, 550 law firms. Awesome. Um, well, you will have a lot of folks uh, that, that tune in to this that are very early in their entrepreneurial journey. And I always talk about, um, you know, the ever important first paying customer. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got your first paying customer for Broughton Partners? Yeah, um, it was the first paying customer in our niche now, I think is a more important story for us. Yeah. Um, because uh, when we first started, I remember I was moonlighting for a software company that sold to personal injury attorneys. And so we thought we were gonna work on all types of leads um, for attorneys. And so we worked naturally with a couple of customers that I had from the software company and sold them leads and were able to get them into their software, but quickly found this passion for mass torts. And um, the first customer that we were able to get for that was um, a guy actually approached us who we were working with on the lead side and said, have you thought about generating cases on this side? And we said, no, um, we haven't. And we generated, you know, this was very early, two months in. And he said, well, I like what you're doing on um, the auto accident side, would you consider looking at this? And we looked at it and we said, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And, um, we tried to run a campaign in the beginning. You just run things to see what works, right. And you're trying to find your way the best you can. And we got into it and it was a very attractive thing because you didn't have to worry about, um, geographical regions. You didn't have to worry about state lines. If attorney was a practicing in Georgia, you didn't have to worry about only focusing in Georgia. And so, um, so many people out there think that, um, attorneys are doing their own, you know, they're advertising on their own or that they're bringing in the cases. And what they don't understand is with these nationwide types of claims, there is no attorney um, presence that covers the whole nations in the plaintiff industry. And that's because you have to be a lawyer to own part of a law firm. And so that means that there's no been no private money ever come into the legal space. And with that being the case, then at the end of the day, these law firms are all very um, segmented and they're not, they don't grow past 300 people. It seems like, right. They haven't had consolidation of softwares, processes, all those things that you see across banking, accounting and all these other industries. And so the nationwide presence of a national law firm doesn't exist. And so these claimants have to find these lawyers somehow. And so we help them um, through advertising and work on behalf of the attorneys and signing those up. And so, um, it's a very cool niche because it's an under, it was underserved, especially when we were getting in, we felt like, um, and needed, needed someone to come into that space. And so it makes it very interesting um, from that standpoint. Cool. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, did you guys take any outside money at anywhere along this journey or is it all just self-funded and bootstrapped? It was bootstrapped all, all along the way. And, um, uh, you know, there were times where that was extremely hard and we had, you know, some short-term debt from uh, friends and 
family in the space and whatnot, mainly on uh, MX and whatnot, but uh, that we were working with, but nothing, never, ever any money pulled. And so I'm very thankful for that and taught us a lot, I think. Um, but, you know, we're not in a space where, you know, it's a long life cycle to build a product and go out. It's been able to develop that life cycle of the product that we're d- delivering the claimants through as we go. So it's been, we've been lucky in the sense that we've been able to retain revenue and get better as we go. And it's about continuous growth with those solutions, but the revenue is coming in as we're doing that, which is nice. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations. I mean, that's just phenomenal growth since 2017. So you, owe you get a, uh, uh, a lot of credit for that. That's fabulous. Um, <laughs> my next question is, when did you know that you were on to something, right? There's, a, there's often times like you're like, you know, it's a, was it roller coaster ride, the trough of despair. When did, when did you really be like, okay, this is, this thing's actually working. We're good. This is going to work for us. I, I, I don't, I still don't have that moment. Um, <laughs> I think that, um, I know that we provide a lot of um, jobs. I'm very proud of that. We're very blessed. I think that we've been having an incredible team and um, everybody is instrumental into getting that done. And so I'm very proud of what we have here. I think that I consider myself so lucky to be a part of the team that we have here. Um, but I think the complacency is where companies die. And we're in that critical phase right now between uh, you know, 100 employees and 500 employees where you're trying to figure out that mid-layer um, translation layer and how you make sure that strategy is still getting executed on on the front lines. And so um, it's a difficult stage. And I think that we have to make sure that we're able to grow through that and make sure that translation layer is um, put in place very solidly. And we also have a, a big culture of everybody having a part of the strategy, right? And everybody having a say. And I think that um, you'll hear me say it a lot, but culture is everything. And so for me, um, I try to approach it from the aspect every day like we haven't, like we're still going and we're going to get better. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that drives me um, to get better every day is, you know, what is that next step that we have to do to make sure that we're in a better place? And so we're still growing and we're still getting there. Um, when did we, I know we had a viable solution. I would say that we learned that we had a viable solution um, pretty early on. Um, but do I, when did I think we got there or we, we had something? Um, we're still getting there. <laughs> um, you've, you've mentioned culture a lot. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in culture. And my, my thought is by almost employee six, if you're not creating culture, it's being created for you. So, you know, what, what kind of activities have you taken to actively create the culture that, that you desire? Yeah, we... We do a lot um, around it. I think that for a lot of people, are, I have another business partner now who um, um, came into the business, you know, two years ago and has been great for the business. And when he came in and uh, I was all about culture and talking about how we got to keep the culture and make sure we do it. You know, he's like, um, you know, I used to think culture was gene day and, and pizza for lunch. And, um, but you find out so quick that it's about, how you, how your team responds to things. It's about how you treat your team. I tell our leaders all the time, we're big on building leaders and we have a leadership. um, We have a leadership book club. We have leadership library. We have leadership training and we offer it to all employees. And um, I think the important thing is that it's really a culture of you serve your team. They don't serve you. 
and the culture will kind of fall in place from there. And so when you put your priorities in line and for us, it's the claimants we serve, then it's the employees, um, uh, then it's our employees and our team. And then it's our law firms we work with. And everybody's always surprised that I say that's behind our employees, but without the claimants and our team taking care of them, the law firms would have nothing to do. And then the um, shareholders fourth. And when we get those priorities lined up and it's a win, 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 win for all of those, it's a great decision. But if you can't make the win for the first, um, you've got to make a win for the claimants first and then take care of the other ones um, after that. And so we really make sure and put an emphasis on taking care of our team. Uh, we make sure that our pair pay is fair all the time. We're reevaluating that. Um, we believe in a culture that we pr promote from within. We always post our job postings before we put them out to um, the public to make sure there's no one internal that's looking for that that may be qualified. And we promote it a ton from within. And uh, we have a lot of really young leaders. We believe in developing people and giving them a chance um, through hard work. And so it's a core value of ours that um, we, uh, we encourage uh, or we, uh, we reward hard work and, um, and uh, over aptitude, right? Because I think that there's something to be said for passion and hard work. Love it. Love it. Um, what has been your biggest challenge in growing Broughton Partners to the point it is today? Um, you know, you face so many um, and, and there's a, there's a challenge all the time. And the, you know, I think the, there's a misconception with people about businesses that, you know, you, you grow it and you can walk away. Right. And, you know, you get someone else to run it. And um, that as you get bigger, the problem, you, your, your job gets easier. Um, they're, it's all extreme misconceptions, in my opinion, if you're trying to grow and if you're trying to fulfill your vision and mission, um, which is, you know, the biggest driver in our business, it's our vision, and our mission. We're trying to create a world without corporate negligence. And if people aren't here for that reason, um, we don't want them to be here. And so for us, the problems get bigger and bigger every, every, all the time, but that's how, you know, you're growing. And so I think that those problems are always surfacing themselves. And when you ha stop having problems, I think that's an issue. And so, um, we are always trying to push the ball forward. We're trying to find the next problem because it's really an opportunity. Awesome. Love it. Um, what does success look like for you and for Broughton Partners? Um, so our vision is to create a world without corporate negligence. And our mission is to help 500,000 people by 2025. So success would be helping 500,000 um, people by 2025. Um, and, and ultimately after that, accomplishing the vision. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and then kind of what's next, how do you expect, you know, what are your growth plans? Um, we, uh, there's a, there's a lot, um, uh, and our roadmap is, is good, but, but we are taking a, a big, uh, we're taking a big step with our, um, data storage and our cloud storage and, um, migrating everything to AWS and getting things from our transactional system into a cloud database for um, how we can help people more and uh, what we can, what we can be doing different internally and what efficiencies we can find from machine learning and, and things like that. So we're taking a big emphasis on that right now and have a lot going on there. Um, and so that's a, uh, I think a huge part of where we're moving. And so I think that that will build a lot of the building blocks for us for future growth and where we want to head. Um, so it's really making sure that we have that stable platform right now 
and then figuring out what the next steps are from there um, based on, you know, use cases as they come up when, you know, we have a backlog of use cases now, but I, we, we try to stay agile enough where the next use case could show up in a month from now. Right. Excellent. The, the best use case. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bit of a data geek myself. So I love that. Nice. Um, you know, we have a lot of new entrepreneurs that tune in for us. So do you have any, um, you know, tips for a new entrepreneur? If you had to give a piece of advice or two to a brand new entrepreneur, what would your advice be? Um, I think that the biggest advice I could give is that 99% of the battle is one in between your ears um, on a daily basis. And some people say 90, 80%. I think it's 99.9. I think that positive attitude, praise and encouragement and a positive culture are the most important things. And so if you can win the battle between your ears, burn the ship uh, on, on what you're doing, meaning go all in, make sure you're all in and have a positive attitude and know that you'll overcome anything you, um, that you put your mind to. That's the biggest thing. Um, I think that great business owners when they are great entrepreneurs hit a roadblock, they, they don't stop, right? It's, do we have to put in 80, 90, hundred hours this week to figure out how to solve this? Right. And so there's never a dead end. It's always, um, it's always, you know, a wall you got to climb over depending on how big a wall that is. Um, you know, just determines how much effort you got to put in. So there are no such thing as roadblocks. Once you have that idea, um, make sure you go after it and don't be scared to pivot though, too. I think that so many business owners get so in love and wonderlust with the idea that they're moving forward, that they don't see that the product they're building could really be better used if they made this pivot and tweaked and um, solved the problem in this industry. Right. And so you have to know that you're going after something great um, and be be willing to pivot, um, but really know that you'll overcome any battle there is and uh, win the battle between your ears. So I'm going to go back a second because you you're, you have a really big mission and vision and a, and a big goal for 2025. And you're only four years old. 2017 is when you're founded. When did you set that big goal? Of the 500,000 500, lives? That was set at the end of 2019. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Just so thinking that around the time. For people that are brand new, don't think that you're, you're there because you got to pivot to find the right place before you set that big, big goal, right? Yeah. I think we kind of locked it in um, probably, you know, 2000, into 2018, 2019, we were ready to lock in for that goal. And we knew that's what we were fighting for. And when we were so united behind that vision and mission, that's when you kind of know you're locked in and that's a good moment to be in, right? It's a good moment to know that you are really pursuing um, a vision and mission. I'd say that, you know, the end of 2018 for us, the middle of 2018, we, we knew, um, but nothing's perfect. And I think that you always got to start with a vision and a mission. And if it does tweak, make sure it's something you're passionate about, be, be passionate about whatever it is. But once you get that locked in, it's important that you give it everything you've got to go after that. Um, at the end of the day, um, if it's not something you're passionate about, um, it's not going to be as successful. And so you have to make sure you're extremely passionate about it. But getting to that point where you are passionate about something, nothing's perfect. And so many people are, well, we're not going to lock a vision and a mission in because it's not perfect. 
we had three visions and missions before we came up with the one we got now. And I wasn't in love with any of them, but it was something that we could look at. Right. And they were variations of where we're at today. And so nothing's perfect. No, no org chart's going to be perfect. We've, I redo, we've run, redone that 500 times. I feel like no protocol is perfect. No process is perfect. Start somewhere, document, right. And as time goes on, tweak those things. And so it's always important to set that vision and mission. Um, and if it does tweak, um, that's fine. But when you get locked in on something, it's great. So don't let the idea of being perfect slow you down from starting something. Excellent. I love it. I just love it. And I love, I love the vision. I mean, it's, it's, it's not about law firms getting clients. It's, it's about the climate. I love that. And more importantly, it's, you know, about for us, it's about, um, how, and that's extremely important. Helping the claimants that have been injured is, is extremely important, but the only way to stop these corporations from doing it again is by holding them accountable in their pocketbooks, unfortunately, because, um, you know, there's a lot of scenarios where these corporations are negligent and they knew about the negligence. Um, they can't be tried criminally, even though they probably should be able to in a lot of scenarios. Mm-hmm. And so the only way we can put a stop to it for future corporations is to show them that we will make you pay and this is going to be something serious for you. And so it's about changing the future for everyone um, and also taking care of the people that have been um, harmed by no fault of their own. Awesome. I love it. Um, Mark has joined us and Mark always asks the best questions. So I'm going to just throw it out there and see if Mark's got any questions. Okay, Kason. Uh, yes. Um, congratulations on the growth you're experiencing and uh, this uh, opportunity. Uh, some of the questions I have uh, regard, uh, I'm not completely familiar with uh, your business model. Um, so, that's what uh, these questions uh, revolve around. First one is, when I think of attorneys advertising their services, I think of numerous billboard and TV ads. Um, how does your approach to lawyer lead generation vary from this strategy? So uh, you've probably seen us on TV. Um, we're, um, our brand that we work with is Guardian Legal Network. And so we advertise as... Um, we advertise um, on behalf of attorneys, right? But we're advertising um, as an affiliate of attorneys. So we're not advertising under an attorney brand and we're not saying that we are attorneys. And then when they come to us, we qualify them and send them to the law firm. So we're not selling cases, we're selling qualified retainers, right? And so we are not um, affiliated with a law firm. We're not advertising with a law as we're a law firm. And so we are working on behalf of the attorneys and the best way to do that is to get them in, screen them, make sure that they're a qualified retainer and then get them to the attorney. And so it's not, um, it's not on a law firm, but when someone gets injured um, or, you know, there's a big process that people go through with these things. And so we have a unique way of having to get a hold of people, right? When someone has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the first thing they think of is not did I use Roundup, right? But there's scientific proof that that was, linked to that, it's typically months later, years later, or someone tells them, or they see something that this could potentially be linked. And they think, wow, I, I, you know, I used Roundup all the time growing up, or I was a landscaper, whatever that link was, that link has to happen. And then they have to say, well, who do I call? There's not really, no one knows that what law firm to call for that type of thing. Right. And so really what we're trying to do is make sure that we're there when people need it, but also 
build that link for people, right? If they don't know that they have a claim, make sure that they're made aware they have a claim. So we're having to let them know as well. And so um, it's not the same as a billboard or branding or anything like that. We're having to make people aware and then also let them know that we can help them find a qualified attorney. And when you talk about something like Roundup, you're talking about 10 to 15 law firms in the nation really qualified to handle those cases. And so it's not like you can call the local criminal attorney and or, you know, the local auto accident attorney, you need to be with a very specific law firm to make sure you're handled correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, your company is a thumbtack for attorneys. It's, yeah, it's, um, it's a way that to make sure that uh, um, these claimants get placed with the right attorney, because yes. a lot of times what we see is that attorneys will take these things on and they shouldn't be in some scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, um, it's more than um, just a thumbtack in this, from the standpoint of we want to make sure they're with the right attorney, right? Yes. It's not just for any attorney. And we, we do a, a very good job of vetting who we're sending the cases to um, and gotten much better over the years because it's important for us that when we're helping that law firm get that claimant that they're going to be taken care of because the worst thing that we can do is put them with someone that's not going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not helping anything, right? And that's not helping our vision. And it's actually hurting Mm-hmm. Um, in your site, uh, after someone has gone to the attorney, can they return and rate and review your service? And is that publicly yeah, absolutely. available? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's uh, no problem with them doing that if they um, want to. Uh, I think that the bigger the bigger thing is if we take care of them with those attorneys, right? There's only 15 in the nation, then we're doing our job. And so we do a very good job vetting those attorneys. And when those people make it to that attorney, when you're looking for where my answer is and you're in, have no clue what attorney to call. Mm-hmm. Um, these attorneys are really, really incredible at what they do when you're talking about an attorney who can sit for five years and wait on a contingency fee contract to come in and litigate cases for five years and not have a single dime come in until year five, potentially, or maybe even longer before these litigations end. They're really incredible at what they do. And so not being too many of them qualified in the nation to do that, um, they typically are very thankful that they are land in that place, I think. Yes. Um, The terms lawyer and claim are among the top 10 most expensive Google keywords. How does Broughton Partners utilize Google Ads cost-effectively? Yeah, I think mesothelioma is the number one, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Worldwide. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, um, you know, it's a very competitive space. It's a space where people are willing to pay a lot. And so um, you have to be willing to, to spend a lot, right? But you also have to be willing to, um, you have to know which mediums are working. And so we're medium agnostic. We run on TV, we run on Google, we run on Bing, we run on Facebook, we run on anything that's ethical to run on, right? And so how you reach a Roundup claimant may not be the same way you reach a 3M claimant. It's really not, right? But we want to make sure that we're running all mediums at all times so that we can collect data because we've seen throughout Torch where a medium that was working really well switches to another medium. And so we want to be in the place where we can help the claimants. And so we're always staying in all mediums with some type of spend across all the torts. And then we're optimizing to, toward that spend. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in terms of compensation, do you offer your services on a subscription basis, a per case basis? Uh, also, are you compensated based upon the award to the claimant? Not compensated on based on the reward to the claimant. Um, okay. We're not lawyers. Um, we are compensated on a qualified retainer that we provide them that meets criteria. So we're basically taking their money and we're spending it. And instead of saying, um, like traditional marketing agencies, we'll take 15% of what you spend with us. We say, we'll take your money and based off of how many qualified retainers we provide you, we'll take that much out of the balance, right? And so it's it's very similar to, um, it's performance-based. You know, we're putting our back against the wall and saying we can do it for this amount, which makes us stay on top of the um, pricing. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's kind of, a, you know, there, I don't know what to, compare it to but it's a uh, similar to a retained search an executive search firm with a retainer right we're basically putting our back against the wall but we're not guaranteeing anything right we're guaranteeing that if we don't do it you'll get your money back yes yes mm-hmm. uh, your market is primarily addressing personal injury um, have you addressed uh, corporate litigation any other areas so, so we do really well where there's a lot of claimants for one litigation, right? And so um, corporate litigation and whatnot, where you have one defendant, one plaintiff, um, you know, there's really um, not much there to be advertising for and they get set with an attorney quickly. And so yeah. um, we're primarily in mass torts um, or that's the only thing we're, we're currently in. And we've been in other things before in the beginning and um, we talked about expanding, but I think that, um, there's still so much we can be doing in, in this area and this is our vision and mission and everybody's united behind it. And so this is um, where we plan to be for a while and uh, plan to get better in this area. Right. Yes. And so having roadmap of um, expanding out, um, we, we want to expand further down. Mm-hmm. Uh, last question. Who's your competition? Um, you know, there's a, uh, quite a few um, people we compete against um, across the nation. Um, I would say the biggest competition that we compete against is local marketing agencies for law firms, right? And um, TV spend agencies for law firms. And a lot of law firms um, traditionally went with TV spend and that's been changing over a while. And so um, TV advertising agencies, um, you know, and marketing companies that produce leads for for people um, is our biggest competition, I would say, across the nation. But there are people who specialize in this arena. Um, but when you talk about um, the people that we lose to the most, I would say you're talking about internal law firm marketing efforts and marketing agencies for those law firms. And it's about showing that we can get a better result um, and help them with more people and also deliver it to them in a more seamless way that the claimant's happy and put a big emphasis on that and also make it easy for them. Right. So they can be good at what they do and be attorneys. And um, they didn't go to school to be marketers. They didn't go to school um, to be developers. They went to school to try cases. And so if we can help them be successful there, we can also help the claimant at the same time. And so it's a, you know, it's a win-win. Yes, definitely. And certainly you're vetting it and, uh, also presenting it in their case management system as well. So that's um, uh, another value add. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So to you, is there any questions that we should have asked you that we didn't? 
that you would uh, like to share with us? I, I think y'all did a great job covering it. You know, um, I, uh, I consider myself to be very blessed. I think that we have um, been very, very blessed and very, I'm very grateful for where we're at as a company. Um, I think that I have one of the most incredible teams on earth. And um, I think that people out there looking to start businesses and looking to, um, to do things need to understand their skill sets and they need to understand what they have and then build that team around them. And maybe they're not a number one, maybe they're not the, the head person, they need to find that, right? Maybe they're a number two or a number three um, person, right? And, and not saying two, three in, as in order, but they're not the person leading the charge. And that's okay. You have to understand your skill set and build around the skill sets and find people that um, can help you carry out your vision and mission. And I think that sometimes that's overlooked where people need to be self-aware and honest with themselves and say, I'm not the leader of this company. I'm not great at managing people. I'm not great at handling a team. And so you have to really understand your skill set, build your team around that. And that doesn't mean that saying that you're not the leader doesn't mean you're not the owner, right? Um, maybe you are the owner and you bring in a leader, but you have to understand what it's going to take to be successful and don't be so um, caught up in your own ego to, to not realize your downfalls. Be self-aware enough to know what team you need to put around yourself um, because it's about carrying out your vision and mission. If you care about that, then ego shouldn't be involved. And so ego is the one thing that keeps people from growing in life, I believe. And so be really self-aware where you're at, what your product is, what you do and what you need to do to take it to the next level. And don't think that uh, if I can't do it, um, I'm not going to let anybody do it, but know how to build a team. 